Welcome back to Camden Cast, your Baltimore Orioles podcast from CamdenChat.com. This is part two of episode 10, recorded on August the 25th, 2011. I am Mark Brown. I was joined by Andrew Gibson, as always. We're joining you in progress. Rest in peace, Mike Flanagan. It's easy to kind of have the knee-jerk response that you want to say, well, somebody new just needs to come in and, like, fire everybody and hire all new everybody every day you know, top to bottom. But that's probably not true. The, you know, the new person has to evaluate who is smart and who is there that's worthless, and then they have to get rid of the worthless people, if and there are any. such a hard job yeah. for any new boss in any company to yeah. come in and accurately assess on a quick basis. And if we're talking about Andy McPhail resigning in mid-October, that does not give a lot of time. That's like a month before. Right. You really got to hit the ground. You really got to get going. Because the World Series ends, and then, what, a week later, you got to be thinking, oh, I got to call all these free agents and tender or non-tender guys. And do we want to trade anybody, take the phone calls? That's a lot of stuff. But I think at the end of the day, what I want to see from – whoever's running the front office, if it's Andy McPhail or someone else, Matt Clintax, somebody new, I, I want to see moves made that, like, don't leave me scratching my head more often than not. Because Andy McPhail's made some great moves. And it's hard not to point to those and be like, I mean, he gets it. it this is... This has got to be one of the hardest jobs in baseball, trying to turn around the Orioles. But for every J.J. Hardy or Mark Reynolds, who hasn't been a resounding success by any means, but for for each one of those guys... He's delivering the homers, we were promised. Well, he's also giving up a ton of base hits. Yes, alas. But, you know, for, for every one of those guys who are mild to large successes... There's a Kevin Millwood or a Kevin Gray. Or, or a Garrett a Atkins. Or Garrett Atkins. Or an Adam Eaton. Or a Steve Traxel. Or like all these other moves that the upside of them is so limited. Or a Matt Hopp. It doesn't make any we sense. We want to go in and talk about the draft, for instance, instead of just free agents or crazy trades. Well, sure. And, you know, th- there's a huge amount of improvement for the actions of the Orioles. I have no idea what their thought processes are. And you you just, you can't judge them outside of what they've accomplished. And what they've accomplished just is, is maddening to me. And I hope this time next year, I can say otherwise, regardless of who's running the, the organization. That's the only thing I'm looking for, is logic. And, and maybe if their record sucks a little bit less, that would be a nice bonus. Uh, well, sure. But I, I think my... right now we're sort of going to have to bunker down for some more hard years. Yeah, I think you might be right. I guess the question for how much hope you want to have for next year is, well, do you think Jake Arrieta is going to not have elbow ch- or bone chips in his elbow and suddenly he'll be closer to what he can be, which is probably a 4-5 or five starter anyway. Uh, is Zach Britton going to be not have his shoulder problem and suddenly he'll be better? I don't know. Well, yeah, when you think about it, at the, at the most basic level, 
the failure so far of the Andy McPhail years in Baltimore has been he showed up and his plan was we'll develop our own pitching staff. And we had Rob Nyer show up on the site at the beginning of the year and he basically said, young pitching will break your heart. That's the only thing it does. And we watched that play right out right in front of us. And really, that's that's the summation of the failure. If the young pitchers had all turned into their ceilings all right away, all at the or same time. Or not even their ceilings, but just felt like they were moving towards their ceilings. Right. Instead of, like, everybody got hurt or regressed or both. Um, but it would be a totally different story. We would not be at all talking about things like 100 losses or perhaps even a losing season. Um, but that's what young pitching does. And that's really been the the failure. of It, it wasn't a bad try but it, it doesn't look like it's working out. The Orioles, the Orioles have the worst team ERA in baseball. And yeah. obviously ERA is not the only evaluation thing, but they also have the worst FIP. Their well, ERA is 4.87, which is the worst. FIP is 4.56, which is the worst. And if if they had an ERA of like one run less, that would be average in the AL. And then they would be sitting around an even run differential. And then you would be like, oh, well, if only they had better hitters, you know, next year, it would go better. But I don't know. Uh, Young pitching will break your heart. And I guess that's that is the moral of the story. So we got a little sidetracked and we didn't answer our second question. We didn't. But was it inevitable that they be this bad? Right. Did they have to be this bad? I think given their roster, you know, there's only so much you could really hope for. But you look at things like the lineup being completely out of whack with reality and things like the defense, the worst thing in baseball, and things like throwing Felix P.A. out there being – the second least valuable player, according to some metrics, in all of baseball, and you kept throwing him out there until it was almost September. Um, but, you know, it seems like all of that stuff is sort of, like, marginal stuff. Like, yeah, at some point, we should have moved Mark Reynolds off of third base when it became really, really obvious that he wasn't much of a third baseman. But then where do you move him? Because you've already got Derek Lee. Because right, Derek first. Lee was stuck there. And then. And Vlad Guerrero at DH. And of course, Andrew and I both attacked, respectively, those signings. And sure. We could see why that was bad. But you couldn't make one move to cure the team. There was just, you know, guys underperforming, like, well, Luke Scott had a labrum tear. So suddenly he's not the Luke Scott we saw at the plate anymore. And right. Brian Roberts just never rebounded from his concussion thing. And Nick Markakis, his power vanished for, like, the first three months of the season. So much stuff. Yeah, you, you know. Some of it, I guess, you could have predicted, but some of it, no. I mean, it seems You wonder like... how much of it is 
because of whatever coaching changes, I guess, were made or other, uh, I sort of hesitate to use the word culture, but culture changes made with the new coaching staff and whatever Buck Walter was working on through, through the beginning of the year in spring training. That's kind of an open question, when, especially when you look at Mark Connor getting replaced as the, uh, or I'm sorry, Rick Kranis getting replaced as the pitching coach, because, you know, the quotes you see from, like, Brian Mattis is that Mattis had a good relationship with Kranitz and uh, maybe hasn't had so much of a good one with Mark, first Mark Connor or Rick Adair, so. But, you know. I mean, what does all that ultimately mean? Yeah, it it feels I like well, who who, who cares? Because that's not the reason why Brian Mattis almost has a nine ERA. Yeah, but maybe you in Mattis's head, lay all that on one thing. It, it's a huge combination of things. The the only question being how much of it was avoidable. I mean, it it just seems like the things that are concrete things are just such small moves. This just wasn't a roster that was really capable of being really good. And that seems weird because I spent so much time before the season convincing myself that it was. Well, I mean, the thing was, there were just so many ifs. It was like, if, if, if this and that go right. And then not only did some of those things go wrong, but all of them basically went wrong and that's why we are where we are was that inevitable nah but in combination all of those things it sure feels inevitable because you know you can't imagine every one of those things being other than what it is well we can't you you can sort of throw this on top of what i want to see out of whoever's the gm next year is and this is not a comment about anything I've heard any fail say, but just in general, I cannot stand it when front office types will talk about, oh, we had such bad luck this year. If only we hadn't had such bad, if our luck was just normal, we would have been really good. The difference between the Orioles and really good is not just bad luck. Bad luck didn't, put Kevin Gregg, who's just never been a good pitcher in the closer's role, to blow however many games he's blown. Bad luck Let's take our obligatory moment for hating on Kevin Gregg. He has a 5.81 walks per nine. Giving up over one home run per nine. His whip is something stupid. Because it always is, because it's Kevin Gregg. It's right. after his recent string. It's 1.60, and that's the closer. It's... Ugh. That was not bad luck. That was somebody yeah. was brainwashed by Kevin Gregg having uh, 122 career saves coming into this year, and suddenly he had to be the closer. No, he didn't have to be the closer. He wanted to be the closer, and so he was made the closer. And then when he was terrible, he presented himself like somebody who you did not want to remove the closer label from, and so the Orioles didn't. And this is actually something I was thinking about in terms of Vlad Guerrero, because, of course, he showed up and said he won the cleanup hitter, and so he was the cleanup hitter. And so it's really easy to look at him and say, but this is the tail wagging the dog. But they won't make the change. They just Sure. I mean, and they did for, what, been, a week? He was number right. five instead of number they, four? They moved him down to five, as if there's any difference between four and five. There's not. 
But and, and this is a guy who so far this year, the only regular hitter, hitter, not not overall player with defense and everything, but hitter, the only one who's been worse than him is Robert Andino, and it is point zero zero one of a weighted on base average point. That's it. I mean, they're they're identical kinds of hitters, and and he's been given basically the longest leash of anybody on the team. And for a while, that really bugged me, especially because it just seems like Buck Showalter had this this reputation for being a hard ass more than anything, and you know not taking any guff. From his players, like he's here to win. He's not here to coddle you, and that hasn't been the case with these veteran guys. Yeah, I think time. at the end of last season, we thought Buck was going to be that guy because it looked like that's what he came in and did when he got hired. And then for anybody, and this includes me certainly, because I, I mean, I don't know if I, I don't know how to describe how that happened, but I. I got the impression that that's what he was going to be, and it was a very rude surprise uh, to see the way he's kind of handled that kind of stuff this year. But I will say this. Uh, I read, it might have been on MLB Trade Rumors or another place like that, that they were looking at um, the Elias rankings, which determine who is... Uh, a type B free agent who is a type A free agent at the end of the year. And this is based off this year and last year. You're grouped, um, it's like first baseman, corner outfielders, and DHs, something like that. And uh, it goes by percentile. If you're in like the top, I, I'm not sure what it is, but if it's like top 20 percentile, then you're a type B. If you're in the top 10, you're a type A, that sort of thing. Um, and they were going over, this had to have been MLB trade rumors. They were going over the potential free agents for the Orioles. <clears throat> and Vlad Guerrero is currently on pace to be a type B. He was a type B last year. He was not offered arbitration by the Rangers. So it, they didn't pick up a draft pick when he signed with Baltimore. And of course, the Orioles can't offer him arbitration either because he might actually take it. Right. That's what I thought, but then I was thinking maybe uh, this was brought up in this piece. They said the Orioles could work out a handshake agreement with him to offer him arbitration and for him to decline it just in order for him to be a type B free agent. Right, which isn't going to be a huge deterrent to another team signing him. Cause, of course. Because what, all you get for that lose. one is this: the team that loses gets a supplemental pick, right? That's not a you-lose-a-draft-pick choice, is it? Right. And it's certainly no sure thing that any team will sign Vlad Guerrero next year because at this point he's been very, very bad for 18 months. But it's not outside of the realm of possibility to me that the Orioles could be sort of pandering to his request for where he hits in the lineup and how many chances he gets and that sort of thing in order to keep like a handshake agreement together. And we talk, we've talked at length here about how the Orioles need to try and do something to, to keep up with their direct rivals. 
you see uh, Toronto just made another trade for a uh, arbitration eligible player at the end of the year just to get the draft picks. And of course, Andrew thinks Aaron Hill is going to end up being our second baseman next year. I would not be surprised. But this this could be the Orioles making that attempt. It, you know, it doesn't make any difference where Vlad bats for the next month because the season the is already lose. lost. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Regardless. So why not let him bat there and and keep a good vibe going between him and the team to get a draft pick potentially. Well, you know what, Andrew, I think this is, this is one of those cases where we're just having a little fan hysteria because we can't do anything other than that. Cause well, maybe it, 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 it's nice to say all this, but on the other hand, it's like, well, that's probably an Occam's razor situation. And the simplest solution is just that the Orioles, just, I don't know, just refuse to see that he's not better than he is. It is impossible for any team to watch his performance this year and watch the types of hits that he does get, where the hits he gets are like the soft ground ball to the pitcher and the pitcher bobbles it. Like today he was two for five and he had a seeing eye grounder that just slipped out of the range of the the shortstop. It was kind of the... uh, the KY grounder of the game, if you will. And thing, his the, other game, his other hit was a loop single to center field. Total jeter kind of hit. I, I heard um, two things, and we got to start to wrap this up. So I do apologize for going over. I read on Beyond the Box Store, the SB Nation blog about sabermetrics. The other day, there was an article about the Houston Rockets assistant general manager, I believe, talking about how the next step of sabermetrical type thinking in sports is not analysts, because everybody's got analysts. It's data gathering. It's the type of data you gather. And obviously, I have sort of a personal stake in that kind of thinking, because I work for a sports data gathering company. But that got me thinking Because the work we do is very much about trying to pick up information that is not stuff that we think about on our everyday life. And I heard Keith Law on Twitter, I believe, the other day talking about how he thinks the next important step in sabermetrics is detailed batted ball information. And that's exactly... The, the crux of what uh, Baseball Info Solutions, the company I work for, does on a daily basis. And they're trying to develop field effects, is that right? It, it's not the same as field effects. Field effects is uh, camera-based. Oh, okay. And we just use the regular feeds, of like the Masson feed. I, I see somebody scoring off the regular Masson and Masson 2 feeds every day um, using the same camera angles that we watch. But, you know, nobody is, is looking at, I should say, nobody whose job it is to evaluate these players is looking at Vlad's type of hits like he had today and yesterday and saying, well, those are good hits because they're not. They're soft ground balls that are squeaking through. And it is, it's 
I refuse to accept that anybody is watching these games and saying, this is an effective hitter. This is a guy that we need to keep happy and keep in the cleanup spot, unless there's something else driving that decision. So if the Orioles offer Vlad arbitration and he declines, you have full permission to come on the podcast and start laughing at me and just rub it in my face. That would I will. That, that, um, you know what? That would make me happy if I was wrong. Yeah, if nothing else, I have to I have to find something to be optimistic about. And I am sure I will come around to optimism uh, by the time next season rolls around too, because it just always happens. Even when I know the Orioles are going to be bad, I still start talking myself into things that uh, that could or may go well. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, being excited on opening day and being happy again. That's for sure. At least for a little while. We'll see how long it lasts uh, lasts for next year. Yeah. So yeah, so we've gone a little over this time where we're aiming for. We apologize, but we did have some topics built up, plus uh, the current events with Mike Flanagan. So let's just what is what would you say is your brief final thought on the Orioles right now, Andrew, as we're wrapping up? Well, uh, I think if you tried to write a book called The Story of the 2011 Orioles, which would be a terrible idea. Nobody should ever do that. You would have to devote like a huge percentage of your material to the current six-man rotation, sort of, kind of, that the Orioles have featuring Jojo Reyes and Tommy Hunter and Alfredo Simone. And Whoever just, else. You lose track of them all. Britton Mattis and Guthrie, at least... You can understand, okay, but when you're throwing out Tommy Hunter and Alfredo Simone and Jojo Reyes, yeah, you're just riding out the string because those are guys who aren't going anywhere. They seem like nice guys for the most part. Tommy Hunter, I saw him in the dugout making some sort of crazy joke with Wayne Kirby the other night, and it looked like this seems like a guy I'd like to party with, but. As far as a pitcher, you know, there's only so much he's going to be. So, you know, it all comes down to the pitching. It feels like that's, you know, sort of the default thing to say. But the pitching's been terrible. And coming in with uh, 34 games left, 27 of them against the AL East, I think we're going to see just how terrible it is. And... Uh, it's going to be hard to stay optimistic with that. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll we'll be getting increasingly depressed as our remainder of the season podcasts are coming along, I think, because uh, like Hurricane Irene is bearing down on Maryland, Hurricane AL East is bearing down on the Orioles. And uh, yeah, that's going to be a Category 5 pretty much. Yep. So my, my, my one slight optimistic thing is kind of playing what Keith Law would call the arbitrary endpoints game. Uh, Nick Markakis on June 1st had four doubles total on the season. And since then, he's gotten six doubles in June, seven doubles in July, five doubles in August, which actually isn't awful. Because if he can get six to seven doubles a month, that's 42-ish on the season, which is pretty much in line with his career numbers. So we... uh, Maybe he's rediscovered whatever he had lost in May and June. I think the more time goes by, it's easier to look at his 
first two two and a half months as the fluke as opposed to the uh the new Mark Hakus. I certainly hope so. He's been he's been ascending from the depths he was in for quite a while, so there see, there we go. I'm I'm trying to find things to be optimistic about again. This There you go. This is the madness and the That's how we do it. The fan. You can't stop yourself even when you should know better. That's life. We're all here to share the pain together though. That's what it's all about. So yeah, Andrew, stay safe. I don't know how close you are to the heavy stuff, but Well, I don't know how close you or you, loyal listener, are to the heavy stuff, but everybody take whatever precautions you need to stock up on whatever food and and water you need to. And uh, we will see you on the other side. Yeah, we will hopefully be back uh, next Friday. And who knows, maybe the Orioles will even have like won a game between now and then. Or not all the games will have gotten rained out. Who knows? But anyway, for Andrew Gibson, I am Mark Brown. This is Camden Cast, and we are out.